Welcome to the Future Think podcast from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with my colleague, Andrew Maynard, we chat with a variety of experts on and off campus about science, technology, innovation, and policy. This podcast brings you the hallway conversations where we think about our collective future. On today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with Jamie Winterton to talk about cybersecurity, which is fast becoming one of the topics that we enjoy digging into. And luckily, there's a lot to dig about. So this is, as you know, not the first time, and it also won't be the last time you hear from us about cybersecurity. Jamie is another person that I am so fortunate to be able to work with at the Global Security Initiative. Jamie's the director of strategy at GSI. She comes to ASU with a background in physics. She previously was a staff scientist at Lockheed Martin. So she's thought about national security and cybersecurity and technology from very much the industry and defense side of that game as well as from the academic side now as she sits here in a think tank at a university. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Before we begin, my usual plea to let us know what you think about the Future Think podcast. You can tweet at us at futurethinkpod. Uh, you can also find and like our page on Facebook, Future Think Podcast. You can also certainly subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on Stitcher, where we are also to be found now. If you are so moved, or if I can in any way compel you to give us a rating, give us a, um, a review on one of those platforms or all of those platforms, please feel free to do so. As always, thanks for listening. So Jamie, cybersecurity and national security, go. <laughs> you warned me you would do this today. Uh, clearly related, um, but sometimes not necessarily how we think they will be related. Um, a lot of times when we think of cybersecurity in the context of national security, we're thinking large classified systems, we're mm -hmm. thinking DARPA Cyber Grand Challenge, mm -hmm. we're thinking the big type of systems. Um, one of the things that I think we have missed that we're we're getting a reminder now is that little systems can join up to become big systems. Yes. So a couple months ago, there was uh, this um, event, the Mirai Botnet, and Mirai actually means future in Japanese, so it's perfect for your okay. future thing podcast. Perfect. Um, we were, we have been looking for a mascot, by the way. Oh, okay. So, I, you yeah. could use a botnet as your mascot, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just I a mean, bot. Yes. If, yeah. if you're looking to take over the world, which I'm not opposed to. Um, so what this was, are a, a lot of, of little systems that were all running the same operating system, but they mm -hmm. were in what we call the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. So all of these different, you know, online toasters and your, you know, internet-enabled refrigerator. I, I've yeah. got, to, got to ask, is the online toaster a myth or does it really exist? I don't know if the online toaster is a myth or but not, but I know that it, yes. it is because it's perfectly ridiculous right. in that yes. 
it, it might actually exist. Right. Uh, there, there are. Tooth- it should do if it doesn't. Yeah. yeah and it. I mean, I can say that there are toothbrushes that have an IP address, and there are definitely internet-enabled refrigerators. Okay. So right, sure. the toaster would fit right in. Right. And please, maybe the the manufacturer of said toaster will be tweeting at us, like, "How did you not know that I <laughs> exist?" I send me a free toaster, and yes. I will atone for that. But it's, maybe at the end of right. the story, they'll decide actually they don't want to be recognized. So, <laughs> maybe so not. carry on with the botnet. Yes, yes, carry on. Sure. So uh, all of it, Mirai is a type of malware. So it's some code that can be installed on these machines, generally when the default passwords aren't changed. Mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. get one of these devices that hooks up to the internet, and it always comes with a default username and password. Mm-hmm. And most people don't change those things mm-hmm. because they don't realize that those aren't unique. And that they are very easily Googleable. So oh. if Andrew gets the Super Cyber Toaster 6000 for Christmas, mm-hmm. and I am looking for ways to expand my botnet, if he doesn't change that default you can, password, you can hack into I can say, toaster. well, I know what the password is because I looked it up on Google, and now right, I'm going right. to change it to what I want it to be after I install this Mirai. So now I'm locked out of my own toaster. Yeah. <laughs> Tragically, yes. Right. Not only are you locked out of your own toaster, but your toaster is now under my control. Right. And I can join it with all of the other botnets in my botnet recital to have them go forward and like do terrible things like do distributed denial of service attacks mm. on important websites. Or and, I, and I think that's the important point, is it? That we're not actually talking about what the device does like make toast, mm-hmm. but it's a bridge to actually getting into other systems. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. They have the, the same types of functionalities and all they really need to do is be able to send messages, mm-hmm. lots of messages, yes. to a specific place and when you get enough of these things in concert with one another, mm-hmm. then that place, that website, um, or that there was another hack involving the 911 system that was similar, mm-hmm. uh, gets overwhelmed and then that system is down. Right. Mm-hmm. So if it's a blog, uh, that's not such a big deal. If it's a critical infrastructure, mm-hmm. that's a much more serious right. problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, so is that what happened with, was it Stuxnet? The, uh, like, did Iran just leave its password as like one two three four five six. Is that what happened? <laughs> um, it would have been a lot less expensive if that were the truth. I mean, not that Stuff I want works. to underplay like Israel's cybersecurity capabilities, mm-hmm. you know, because they are expert cryptographers and mm-hmm. like IDF. Like we know that. We know that. Sure. But. Is they, that what happened? No, Stuxnet was much more sophisticated. Stuxnet okay. was was beautifully executed. It included uh, several zero days, which mm-hmm. um, are exploits based on vulnerabilities that haven't been seen before. Oh, okay. So if you're using something that's kind of a brand new weapon that no one's seen, it's really hard to defend against that. And Stuxnet included several of these things tied in together. Mm-hmm. One of the really interesting things about Stuxnet is it wasn't set loose to just say, all right, go blow up this, right. this nuclear plant. But cause enough instability in the system mm-hmm. to shake the faith of the Iranian scientists. Right. Okay, right. yeah. So it really not only exploited vulnerabilities in that Siemens system, mm-hmm. but in the people themselves that were working on it, they couldn't figure out what was happening. Some mm-hmm. days this worked and some days it didn't. And it caused them to lose faith in their mm-hmm. ability to develop the program. Mm. Got it. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen in the past, oh, week that you know, cybersecurity has been really well. So we saw this throughout the election, right? Mm-hmm. And hacking 
with the election through digital means and um, that cybersecurity has been advanced as one of the pillars of, you know, making America great again by protecting it on this war front, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you have? Process that for us, please. Um, Boil that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very vague, and so it's difficult to do that. Um, we can have a lot of posturing about how we're going to make cybersecurity great again and how we're going to... We're going to hack back, um, but there are a lot of problems in that, um, not the least of which is attribution. Mm -hmm. So knowing who's doing what to right. who in cyberspace is not very obvious. Right. There are lots of different ways that you can mask your location. Um, they're not very hard either. I mean, right, right. Anybody with a VPN can do that. Um, which doesn't mean that VPNs are bad. They're actually very good, and we'll right. talk about that next week. We but will, yes. Attribution is really, really hard. Uh, if if a group were to decide to have a sort of nation state level attack, mm -hmm. it would be really smart of them to make it look like it's coming from either Russia or China because people believe it's Russia or China all right, the time right. anyway. Right. Um, and then even if attribution is determined, which I think we got to a reasonable position in the, the voter database breach and mm -hmm. some of the other things happening around the election, um, the DNC email hack, even when you know who it is and you think you know who it is, what is a proportional response? Right. We've promised a proportional response, but it's not clear at all what that is. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't have the same type of electoral or democratic mechanism to meddle with in Russia, so right. it's not, we don't always have the analogs. Right, mm -hmm. right. So there must be discussion on how you actually respond to, to national threats like right. this. Like, mm -hmm. Where does it go? So I, I hadn't even thought about this before, but obviously if you have a, a physical act of aggression, mm -hmm. you have a sense that you respond back physically. If somebody mm -hmm. bombs you, you bomb them. Sure. But yeah, with these digital attacks, I, what are the rules of engagement? And is anybody thinking about a response, could be a physical response. So you have a, yes. a digital attack and your response is a, a more conventional sort of war or aggression response. And then where do you go from there? That's, that's a great question. There's a lot of discussion around that. Right. Um, there has been talk around all of those topics. Mm -hmm. So if, if we have a cyber attack of sufficient damage and how you quantify that damage mm -hmm. is an open question unless there's property damage or sure. lives are lost, um, what makes sense to do from there? It's, mm. th there's a lot of questions about that. I don't think there's a good, there's a good answer, but right. physical retaliation has not been ruled out. Right, okay. right. So it's the a parallel here with Cold War and the spy culture, because mm -hmm. similar sort of thing where you had spying. I'm specifically thinking about the Cold War, where a lot of this almost mythology about um, sort of spycraft sort of came out. Um, where you had systems where it was hard to attribute the flow of information. Mm -hmm. um, very, very subtle systems that were very, very damaging. Did we learn anything from that that's applicable to cybersecurity? I think we learned that denial and deception are amazing tools. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I think we learned that information warfare is incredibly powerful. Right. Mm -hmm. We've been engaging in information warfare for decades. This right, isn't right. anything new, but we have new tools and methods the, to do it. Right. Did we learn anything about defense? I think we've we've learned that it's difficult. <laughs> okay. Um, but applying what we learned in the Cold War era uh, to these new methods is maybe going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So, okay, well, yeah. let's shut down that avenue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we, sh we should continue to explore it and figure yes. out what we, can, what we can bring over and what those analogs really are. Yes. 
If you like this podcast and you're enjoying the conversations that we're having, you might be interested in our master's program in science and technology policy. You can get more information online at sciencepolicy.asu.edu. And now back to the conversation. I'm wondering, is there a role for ground rules, right? We Mm -hmm. have international conventions for engaging in physical war, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We don't really have international conventions for engaging in non-physical war, do we? Not that I know. I mean, as as those words were coming out of my mouth, Mm. I was like, oh, we probably do, and I'm ignorant. Well, we haven't been able to get a good consensus. Mm-hmm. So there's not a good consensus on what hacking even means. And there are big cultural differences here, too. Right. The way the United States yeah. treats its hacker culture is very different from the way that China or Russia treats sure. their hacker culture. Sure. Here in the United States, we tend to be fairly, from the government perspective, hands-off with uh-huh. them. You know, if you can't obey our government rules, then you can't work with us. And I think that's been to our government's detriment. Mm-hmm. Um it, we also consider hacking to be, uh, we, we define it much more broadly and much more negatively. Mm-hmm. So if you were to uh, you know, be on the internet and in the browser and you put in you know, maybe an incomplete URL that led you to a set of documents that were not supposed to be open, mm-hmm. you, you could be hacking. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though you had no intention yeah. right, to go right, there, you know, right. or even if you were just like, oh, I wonder what's in the directory above me. Right. If that wasn't, if that should have been locked down, but wasn't, mm-hmm. the culpability could still be on you. Right. And really? so there's a lot of fear in internet researchers about how can we really explore these things and how can we create adequate defenses if we could be punished for that exploration. Right. And part of the challenge, it seems, is curiosity so you've obviously got nefarious intent Mm -hmm. but a lot of this seems to be driven by curiosity so if you suddenly find a backdoor route into a website Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you have a dig around because it's Mm -hmm. it's something that's exciting and interesting (laughs) and it's sort of of as biological beings it's what we're programmed to do Mm -hmm. right and and really good things could come out of that and there there are rules for responsible disclosure Mm -hmm. there are guidelines um sometimes companies don't always react very well when vulnerabilities are disclosed to them, um, but a lot of companies also understand that they can get a lot more out of this population of security researchers mm-hmm. externally than they can ever find on their own. So they've developed bug bounty programs where mm-hmm. they say, yes. yep, yep, go ahead and attack our stuff. And if you find something and we think it's a big deal, we will give you money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've had some, some really interesting things mm-hmm. found and were able to secure themselves in a way they wouldn't have otherwise. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is a big part of the challenge that this is fear of the unknown because the people who are in policy decision making uh, positions, right? Mm-hmm. This is like, oh, it used to be the you know the realm of kids playing video games, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden mm-hmm. those video games are encroaching into my sort of professional and intellectual space, and I don't know how to work them. Like, mm-hmm. is that part of the issue that our, from a policy perspective, we have been so accustomed to working in more tangible spaces and from mm-hmm. a security perspective in more tangible spaces? Like, is that part of the issue? I do think that's part of it. The fact that 
you're so close to everyone else on the internet, mm-hmm. physical space doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Right, you right. You can have conversations with anybody you want. Anybody mm-hmm. can find out things about you. Geographic boundaries are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You know, we like to pretend that we can legislate certain things in cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, my favorite instance was uh, the prime minister of Britain, I think, said he was going to outlaw encryption, which I found <laughs> hilarious because it's like you're outlawing math, so that right. doesn't really make right. sense. Right. And right. also, are you going to line your borders with little phone lockers where we all put our iPhones because iMessage is encrypted? Just, yeah, that's not right. Yeah. Makes there's sense. there's yeah. a serious disconnect mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. with. Oops, oh, sorry. I just turned on Siri. Yes. Sorry. Hey, Siri. <laughs> hey, That's Siri. Talk to, you later. <laughs> Talk to you later, girl. Oh, wait. My uh, Siri just turned on. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, what do you think? Yeah. Um, part of it, too, is we've really, really hyped up cybersecurity. We have this trope of, you know, the dude in the hoodie in the dark, yeah. and he's doing evil things in the basement, and it's always oh, a and he. Yes, um, and we learned that it's his parents' basement, and he, there's a bed in the basement, and he weighs 300 pounds. Is that was that not the message from the second presidential that, debate? Uh, yes, yeah. yes. So, and somebody made a Twitter account of the 400 pound hacker, so you can oh, follow yeah. that guy now. Yeah, and uh, see, you know, can what how many different kinds of Doritos are out there? I guess mm-hmm. right. But we right. we've hyped this up. We're doing a lot of just worshiping of the problem, oh, cyber is so scary and it's so difficult and there's no hope. And so people just give up, right? Right. They just say, well, if China is in my computer anyway, it doesn't matter if my password is the word password and it's in a post-it note on my screen. It doesn't That's pointing at my camera. Yes, exactly, right. I, um... I'm going to embarrass my parents for a moment because they probably won't listen to this. But <laughs> I, uh, I went over to their house. I was going to fix something on their computer, and I opened up their computer, and they had passwords.doc on the up on the screen. And I was like, "You have got to be ah, kidding me!" That's awesome. So yeah, I changed it to some other really embarrassingly named file. I told them they're not allowed to name things password anymore. But like, there's there's just a sense of of loss of hope. How do you if the problems are this big? What do we do? And I think that's a failure of how we're discussing it, uh-huh. and a failure of as technologists we're not bringing the right message to the right people. Right, okay. right. Okay. So I, this actually really worries me because mm-hmm. if you have that resignation, it just opens vulnerabilities mm-hmm. incredibly wide. But part of the challenge I think is um, the, the experts or the community that understands the nature of the, the problems, they don't do themselves any service in terms of how they communicate. So I think of myself mm-hmm. as somebody that has to grapple with passwords mm-hmm. and um, protecting what I have and, and my sites. Mm-hmm. The advice I get is dreadful. It is, um, it's awful. I, I can't live my life if I followed the advice. My life would be miserable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not given any easy way forward in terms of, of protecting myself in cyberspace mm-hmm. in a way that actually sort of suits the way that I, I live. Right, um, people And so how do, you, how do you bridge that? That's a great question because right. we're not doing a great right. job of it right, right, right now. Right. We're, we're giving far too technical information and we're making it way scarier than it needs to be. I think as technologists, we can start on a few simple fronts. Um, one of those would be a password manager because right. passwords mm-hmm. are ridiculous. The types of <laughs> passwords that you have to mm-hmm. put together now. You know, all the hours that I've, I've wasted trying to get just the right password, mm-hmm. a little thing comes up saying you haven't got sort of these characters or that characters yeah. or it's too long or it's too short. Or, or you've or, used right. this one already. Oh I know. Right. Two hours later, you're pulling yeah. your hair out and, yes. and then you eventually get it and five minutes later, you've forgotten it. 
Right. Yes, then, that happens to me constantly. And that which password aggregator company was it that itself was hacked last year, which makes yeah. me have no faith in any of them. Right, right. I reset a lot of passwords a lot of times. Mm. Okay. It's, yeah. yeah. But, but we have to figure out something that's not password based. But that doesn't help real people out there right, right now, well, right? That's right. So uh, two-factor authentication is another thing that mm -hmm. we can be pushing for actual people. It's not that hard to set up. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just that extra layer of protection where if someone's trying to get into your account and you get this ping saying, hey, someone's trying to get into your account. Mm -hmm. Is it really you? Right. Yeah. It's not that much extra time. It's not mm -hmm. that much extra typing. Mm -hmm. And it's not a really complicated system. So at a national security level, should we be concerned that the people making national security decisions in a public way, that being our chief executives, um, are notoriously non-users of digital technologies in ways other than tweeting? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's I mean, a is big that concern. part of the problem? Like these, pe these are people who don't know what two-factor authentication even means. It's really hard to make policies without understanding some of the basics behind the technology. Mm -hmm. And again, as technologists, we need to reach out and sure. make better right. explanations, mm -hmm. but those explanations also need to be accepted. So, And I, I feel like this is one of the problems. This is along with things like quantum physics that for most of us, not you two because you both happen to be physicists, but... Um, <laughs> For most regular folk, we have to just believe that this right. thing is true, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like for a lot of cybersecurity issues, we have to believe that the people who are quote-unquote cybersecurity experts are telling us the things that are true and the things that are good, right? Mm -hmm. And sort of that we must just believe and trust them to lead us down the correct path. Mm -hmm. um, that trust issue is something that I feel is so much greater in the cybersecurity world from a policy perspective than it is for things like economic policy. I can butt two companies up against each other and watch what happens with dollars or yen or right. pounds. But it feels like a great yeah. big black box where you have yeah. no idea what's going in, on inside. So you feel you have to trust Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how do we fix that? I mean, is it an education issue? Is it a familiarity issue? I think it's a communication issue. Trust is really at the root of security. Mm -hmm. You can't be secure if you don't have that kind of trust. Oh, sure. We saw this in, in the election, too. I mean, whether the machines themselves were hacked or not, um, there was a belief that the election was compromised, mm. and that had a big effect. Yeah. I mean, it did have an effect on turnout, and it had sure. an effect on the discourse. Mm -hmm. When people don't believe that they have the opportunity to do what's right, whether right. it's in casting their vote, or securing their smartphone, mm -hmm. or logging onto Wi-Fi, or getting your cyber toaster, like they have to have that trust, and I think it comes from the communication. We have to figure out how to have the conversation in a not terrifying way. Right, right. right. Um, and in a, a weird sense, I mean, that's a vulnerability as well. So I mean, if you think about sort of ways you can disrupt or manipulate systems, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we're, we're talking about cyber, but even using that, that fear or that doubt or that uncertainty is mm -hmm. a weapon in itself. Mm -hmm. So we need to work yeah. out how to close that vulnerability. And I, I think you're right, sort of communication and, and awareness and understanding are critical here. So one of the things that actually strikes me here is decision makers, I just like any area of science and technology, they don't need to know the guts mm -hmm. of how things work. Mm -hmm. But they need 
enough to be able to make smart, informed decisions. Right. Um, and that also yeah. means the people that are advising them need to know enough to be able to advise on, on smart, informed decisions. Mm -hmm. So we do this with economics. We realize that economics is important. So if you're in a position of power or responsibility, typically mm -hmm. you have people that understand economics around mm -hmm. you. And yeah. we don't question that. But my sense is that what we're dealing with here in digital space isn't necessarily any more complex. It's just that we don't value it in the same way as seeing that it's important enough for people to understand what's what and what implicates what. Mm -hmm. And I think as technologists, like we love the guts. Oh, we love right. the guts so right. much. Mm -hmm. And we have to maybe reel it back a little bit instead of saying like, let me tell you all about SHA-256. Oh, instead yes. of saying, you know, well, let's talk about what's practical and mm -hmm. the, the, yeah. the actual risks and why encryption is good and why we need privacy mm -hmm. and security. Right, I think that's exactly right. So we, we bring it to a level that people can actually make sense of. We tell mm -hmm. them what they need to know what, rather than what we're excited about. Yes, yeah. so we have this a hard time strikes yeah. me as being the same conversation that we have in healthcare, actually. Mm -hmm. And as a healthcare provider, this is the same set of conversations and ways of thinking, right, that I, the ways that I engage with my patients who mm -hmm. have these really complex cardiac phenomena happening. And I have to, do they need to know, you know, what the, um, you know, what the ion potentials or the <laughs> activation potentials are from cell to cell? No, they specifically do not need that information, but they need me to give them the right amount of information so that they understand and can participate in making an informed decision. Right. right. Um, and they have to trust me as a healthcare mm -hmm. provider um, to, you know, to help guide them and advise them in that same way. And it strikes me as this highly, you know, yeah. cybersecurity is a similarly highly technological space. Yeah. We talk a lot about cyber hygiene and cyber health. Mm -hmm. So do you think that, do you think healthcare is better at this? Have you guys figured it out? Sure. Well, I mean, I think healthcare has more years of experience with it in the same way mm -hmm. that, um, you know, uh, the UK has more years of experience at doing democracy and government than the United States does, right? And when uh, when I was... And you can see how good we are at that. Well, and that's the point, right? That's the point, is when I um, had a bespoke tour of Parliament, because I get really excited about things like this, um, and the um, the woman who works for one of the MPs um, who was taking us on this tour, I was asking her all these questions, and my children of course were rolling their eyes, but um, you know, one of the things she said is, listen, we've been at this for a thousand years, and we're still working it out. So just understand, America, you know, that like you've got a road to walk here. Like mm -hmm. don't expect that you're gonna be the be all end all perfect at this. And the road shifts when you're not expecting it. To. Right, right. So um, I think that healthcare is the same way. Healthcare has been engaging in this, um, you know, in these questions of trust and advisement for longer than the cybersecurity, you know, field has been doing it. And are is healthcare perfect at far from it, which is great. Like that's I still have a job thinking yeah, about, right. you know, programs and ethics and, mm -hmm. you know, 
the fields of the future thinking that we do because we're not perfect at it. But I think that we have some more experience that, and maybe that's part of what a healthy approach to growing cybersecurity and understanding how cybersecurity might function in, you know, a national security way. Um, maybe calling on people who have experience with this in parallel fields right, might yes. be a useful, you know, phenomenon that I don't know if it's happening. I mean, I know that um, in the healthcare space, we think about cybersecurity from in terms of uh, uh, personal information protections and things like this, but big picture, sort of at a meta level, I don't think that there's any but isn't this interesting as well? You're getting this merging of fields. So we started off talking about cybersecurity, mm -hmm. but it's what we actually learn and do there is directly relevant to healthcare because yeah. of that merging. It's directly relevant to other places like manufacturing. Right. So we can't sort of pull apart these different areas in the same way as we could in the past. They're all mm -hmm. sort of connected and interconnected. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you brought up with healthcare that's really relevant in cybersecurity mm -hmm. is the fact that if someone gets sick, they can get other people sick too in their network. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a good point. And that's where the individual piece ties into national security. I mean, you kicked uh -huh. us off by saying cyber and national, let's go. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about the individual, but individuals make up these networks mm -hmm. and we each are connected to one another and mm -hmm. there may not be that many steps in between each other. Right, um, right. We can, you know, we, we don't want to be spreading things throughout uh -huh. the network, like uh -huh. the botnet example. We also don't want to be picking things up that are bad either. Do, do we yeah. need an epidemiology of cyber? Yeah, there was a, uh, a talk I went to a couple years ago at New America called Do We Need a Cyber CDC? Okay, And yes. we it might not be a bad idea. Right. Interesting. Right. So mm -hmm. there you go, national security plan. You could be the national security advisor. Oh, thank you. On the yeah, cyber, you? cyber security CDC. CDC. <laughs> yeah. You'll yeah. put my name in? Thanks. I, yes, yeah. yes. Is that a write-in situation? Probably. Do I just need to tell the Russians and then like I think if happen? you just tweet exactly. it, it's fine. Oh, there <laughs> we go. Obviously, obviously. All right. So I suspect, I strongly suspect that this conversation is not over. Not Though even close. We will dismiss everybody for today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks Jamie. Jamie. Okay. For more where that came from, including our undergraduate and graduate programs, check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. The Future Think podcast is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at Arizona State University. Our music is by Mark Van Hare. Our production assistant is Ana Lopez. Please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and on Twitter at FutureThinkPod.